This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, and so delighted to be here. Later on in this episode, we will be talking with reader and friend Melanie Paradise, telling us an amazing, amazing, heartwarming gotcha story about her cat, Adia. If you would like to be considered uh, to be a guest on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail, or if you would like to know more about the books about cats that I write, or if you'd like to find out how you can get your cat, you and your cat's name, your name and your cat's name, <laughs> grammar is hard, your name and your cat's name, in a an upcoming book that I am writing, and actually my next book will be published in April of 2021. So if you would like to find out how you can get your name and your cat's name included in that book, head on over to GwenCooper.com. There are comment boards and contact forms and and all kinds of interesting stuff that will give you the hookup. And I look forward to seeing you over there. I am actually recording this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail, unusually for me, um, very, very early in the morning. It's about five in the morning. And, and I'm sorry to say that I've actually been up already for a couple of hours. And I'm an early riser, um, but this is early even for me. And, you know, I think I, I had said on a previous episode that I've been having trouble sleeping lately. And so I, I've been looking at various solutions for for sleep aids and sleep problems and, and ways to help insomnia. My problem is not so much that I can't fall asleep. It's that I keep waking up and then I ultimately end up waking up for the day way too early. So I, I read, I was reading about weighted blankets, and I don't know if any of you guys have tried weighted blankets. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a blanket that is heavy. Uh, the blanket that I got is about the the length and width of a twin bed. So so it's just for me. It's not for Lawrence and me. And it weighs, and this is true, it weighs fifteen pounds. So that should give you a sense of of how heavy. This blanket is, and and it's made out of some kind of of, I don't know. It seems to be filled with with something that that maybe has sort of the texture or consistency of like beanbag material. Maybe, I mean, it's definitely not down. I'm not sure what it is, but I can tell you that my cats love it. Uh, so of course the joke is right that I bought this for me, and it was immediately appropriated by the cats, which is not such a big deal during the day. You know, they love sleeping on it during the day. It's the new thing. They're, they are forever chasing each other off of it. So I'll walk through the bedroom, let's say, on, on my way to, to the bathroom, and I will see one cat snoozing peacefully on top of the weighted blanket. And then two seconds later, having, you know, gotten my antacid or, or brushed my teeth or whatever I was going in to do, I, I walk back through the bedroom and see the other cat there. And the first cat is nowhere to be found. And and so clearly what is happening is that Clayton and Fanny are letting each other sleep on it just so long. And then one of them is like, all right, you've had it long enough. Now it's my turn and uh, and demands a switch. 
which is all well and good during the day. And, and I certainly do not begrudge them their enjoyment of the blanket, even if it means that I'm seeing less of them downstairs during the day. The problem is that they are not willing to give it up at night. And they also don't chase each other off of it at night. I think because they know that I, of course, am not a fan of either of them chasing the other one away from, and I mean, not in, you know, I understand they they play, they chase each other around uh, when they're playing, but I'm not necessarily a fan of one cat is sleeping peacefully and, and minding his or her own business and the other cat comes up, starts hitting him or her in the head and, and chases him off, um, which is something that they do to each other. Anyway, so the equitable solution that they have found, uh, that they believe they have found for nighttime is for all three of us to use the weighted blanket at the same time with me underneath it and the two of them on top. So I'm not exactly sure what what the science, if there is even any behind the weighted blanket is. You guys can look it up. It, it, it really is a thing that people are writing about, um, especially for people maybe who have sensory input differences, people who are autistic, uh, things like that. Um, I, I'm sure that there is some science. I, I really bought this kind of in a spontaneous fit of, I'll try anything. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know how exactly what the mechanism is that makes it work, but I am fairly confident that it was never intended as a sleep aid for the 15-pound blanket to also bear the weight of 15 pounds worth of cat. And and yet, that is how the weighted blanket is now being used in my house. So so I get underneath it, and the cats get on top of it, and I now have roughly 30 pounds of weight on top of me as I'm trying to sleep. And perhaps in, an un, in, in what may be an unsurprising twist that anyone could have seen coming, it's not as comfortable as as you would think it would be. And if you were thinking, well, that doesn't sound like it would be comfortable at all, you would be right. It, it is even less comfortable than that. So the long and the short of it is that once again, I have been up since three o'clock this morning. And I actually, I decided since I was up, I, I finally, you know, I don't like lying in bed trying to fall asleep. I would rather do almost anything else. Uh, but I also didn't feel like reading. That's sometimes what I do. You know, I turn on the, the bedside lamp and, and try to read and fall back asleep. But this time I went downstairs and and I binge watched the entire season thus far of of WandaVision on you know streaming on Disney Plus. And I will I may as well admit right here and I I don't know how you guys listening feel about this. Um so I've never read a comic book. I've actually literally never read a comic book even when I was a little kid. I was aware of comic books. But I didn't read comic books. Uh, I'm afraid that when, you know, when I was a kid, you know how it is. You get to a certain age and you don't want to read things with pictures because you feel like that's for babies. And any grown up who gives you something with pictures in it, it's because that's for babies. And so it was just not anything that I got into when I was younger. And then it was not a habit when I developed when I was older. Lawrence, of course, went through a heavy, heavy comic book phase and and knows all the backstories for various comic book characters, at least up until, let's say, you know, the early 80s when he stopped reading them. Having said that, though, I, I have been enjoying the the Marvel movies of the, you know, the 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 spell, the action and spectacle 
of the Marvel movies over the last decade or so. And I think there's actually some genuinely good storytelling in there. And I have to say that I really was enjoying WandaVision uh, in no small part because I love Katherine Hahn, who's just one of my favorite actresses. And Katherine Hahn's character is there. She's always playing the wacky neighbor, Agnes, and Agnes has a bunny. Anyway, not to get too far into this, but the point being, and, and here's a major spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it yet, or if you're planning to watch it and you haven't gotten to the eighth episode, then you you may certainly skip the next 30 seconds to one minute of this podcast. So I'm giving you a chance to, to skip ahead if you want to. But it is ultimately revealed that Katherine Hahn's character, the one with the bunny, is the bad guy or a bad guy. I, I don't know how many bad guys may end up materializing in this thing. But she is is a bad guy. And she comes in to give her big, you know, bad guy monologue. Here's my evil plan and why I was doing it. And she's holding her bunny, the, the, the rabbit, while she's doing so. And I am not ashamed to tell you that I was so <laughs> afraid. Like, like, now that we know she's the bad guy, she's a bad guy holding a bunny. And I was so afraid for that bunny. I think this is actually why I couldn't have fallen back asleep because sometimes I get up at three in the morning, I watch TV, I read a book, I do fall back asleep and I sleep until six or so. But I think the bunny thing got me very tense. And I'm sure you guys can relate to this. If there is an animal of any kind in a movie or a TV show, I, I have to know that the animal is going to be okay. And and I think the real foundational trauma for me in this regard, and it also involved a bunny and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, was the movie Fatal Attraction, which I believe was the last time I actually saw an animal harmed in a movie, because since then I, I make a point of knowing and stay, like steering really wide around these things. I'm actually not a person who goes to see many animal movies. You might think, based on what I do, that I would be first in line to see any animal story. I don't. I can't. It's so hard for me. Even the happy, feel-good ones, if I know the animal is going to suffer at some point, which everybody suffers in a story along the way, that's kind of the point. That's what gets you to the happy ending is the hardships that have been overcome. And I understand that. I, I can't bear the hardships for the animal. And, and, you know, and I was going to see, I was going to say that I should have known better. Nothing happens to the bunny in WandaVision, at least not as of yet, by the way. And I was going to say, and I should have known, of course, that would be the case because this is a Disney show. I mean, it's the Marvel Universe, but it's done under the auspices of Disney. And Disney is certainly not going to hurt an animal, but Disney killed Old Yeller. And that Actually, Old Yeller and Disney also, as I'm thinking about this, Disney shot Bambi or Bambi's mother. Sorry. Disney shot Old Yeller and then Disney shot Bambi's mother. And those were the two foundational traumas when I was a kid when it came to animal movies. And that's why it's so hard for me to this day to even watch happy animal movies uh, because I just remember the, the feeling of being a little kid. And feeling so betrayed that Disney, that made such happy movies with happy endings, would end one movie with the dog getting shot, the, the beloved family dog, and another movie with Bambi's mother getting shot. Although I will say, I do remember my mother dragging me out of the movie theater before before the end of Bambi 
in a vain attempt, but she wasn't quick enough. And so looking over my shoulder, I saw what had happened, uh, but in a vain attempt to protect me from Bambi's mother getting shot. I also remember, and this is true, I don't know if you guys uh, remember the Benji movies, but I remember going when I was a kid. I don't remember which one it was. I don't think it was Benji the Hunted. I think I was too old by then, but it was um, it was one of the Benji movies. I'm not sure which. I think it came out. I think it was like like For Love of Benji, I think was the one that it was. But anyway, Benji crosses, you know, Benji the dog who has his adventures and there's a series of movies about him. And in this one, Benji crosses paths with some spies who encode secret information on his paws. They, they put the information on his paws. And I remember being a little kid, like five or six years old, and I was a very well-behaved little kid. I, I, I will say, not necessarily in my house. <laughs> I'm sure my parents would tell a different story. But when I was out in public, I understood that it was my job not to embarrass my parents by making a scene, even when I was very small. You know, that there were good kids and bad kids and bad kids embarrassed their parents by making big scenes. And and I was a good kid. And nevertheless, however, when seeing For Love of Benji in the theater, I do remember that that when the the spies or whoever it is, they're 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 putting they're 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 like encoding the information to hide it on Benji's paws. And I started screaming, they're hurting him. They're hurting Benji. And uh, <laughs> they're hurting his paws. And so you know how it is. In, in a theater full of kids, if one kid starts screaming and crying, every other kid starts screaming and crying. And so it went from just me being hysterical within seconds to about 150 kids. You know, all of a sudden, everyone was crying. Everyone was hysterical. My mother was so mortified. She dragged me out of the theater. And I don't think I saw another animal in a movie from that day until I saw Fatal Attraction. And, you know, and, and so really my, my big takeaway has been that, that I have to be very trepidatious when it comes to, to animals in cinema. Uh, apparently it, it is a little too much for me to take. But, you know, I always say there, there really for me is, is no worse imaginable nightmare than some scenario in which uh, you know, I mean, the only thing harder for me than watching an animal get hurt is the idea that I might in some way hurt an animal. Um, I, I do have to say, and I will confess this to you, and I am embarrassed to confess this, but I have not, my cat's claws have not been trimmed since quarantine started. And that is because I am now afraid to trim my cat's claws. And that is because um, I used to trim Homer's claws sometimes when, you know, when he was around, obviously. But Homer over the years got more and more sort of morbidly, uh, you know, obsessed with his own paws or or with people not touching his paws. He he didn't want anyone to touch his paws, much less trim his claws. And this was a, really a feeling in him that grew as he got older. And one day I was trimming his claws and he like, he jumped or he flinched and I ended up cutting a little too far and he bled a little bit. And and I cannot begin to tell you. It, it's hard for me. You can't see me right now as I'm talking, but as I'm telling this, like I'm all clenched up. My, my hands are, are, are all clenched up. It's still so upsetting. It is so upsetting for me to think about. And I have done things that my cats have found unpleasant or or even a little painful, you know, when, when Vashti 
had chronic renal failure, I had to give her shots every day for her anemia when Scarlett had had um, diabetes. Sorry. <laughs> As I said, I didn't sleep much last night, so you'll have to bear with me occasionally losing words. Vashti had chronic renal failure and anemia, and so I had to give her subcutaneous fluid injections and shots for her anemia. And so both of those things involved putting needles in her. And Scarlett also. Scarlett was was um, diabetic for about six months. We we got it under control fairly quickly. But for six months, I had to give her an insulin shot every day. And occasionally, you know, when you do it in that soft flap of skin at the back of their neck, uh, where they really don't have many nerve endings and they really don't feel much. But every so often you hit a blood vessel and it bleeds or, or you jab it in, you know, not quite the right way and, and they jump a little and it hurts them a little. And that I did manage to to hold it together and to do and to do without feeling horrible about it. And I guess because, you know, there was the knowledge that they will die. You know, it, it's this or they die from lack of care. Like, like I could be the squeamish mom or I could be the mom who gives them the medical care that they need. And obviously I chose to be that second mom. And, you know, we, we were able to keep Vashti with us for another year because I was able to give her all this care at home. So I'm not sure what it is with the claws. I guess because I, you know, I, they have plenty of scratching posts. Their Their nails, their claws might be a little long for my personal comfort, you know, like Clayton likes to loves to lie on top of me and need my skin. And so when his claws are too long and I'm wearing a thin shirt, especially that can be a painful process. Um, you know, we, we've got a little, you know, a couple of snags on a, a couple of snags on the material on the couch because the cat's claws have not been trimmed. So it's not like there's no downside, but, but I guess because in my head, it, it is not a life and death health issue. And so there is just the downside of me cutting too far or doing it the wrong way. I guess also because it requires a little bit more skill. You know, at the end of the day, jabbing a needle in is jabbing a needle in and you do it once, whereas cutting a, a cat's claws is something you have to do on 10 separate digits. And, you know, Clayton is actually really good about things, but Fanny is such is so squirmy. Um, she's so skittish. Fanny, I I love her to death, but she for a cat who's lived with me for all nine years of her life and and who is so affectionate and and so loving toward Lawrence and me, she is she still has that cat thing where she is ultimately so mistrustful of our motivations. Um and I'm not really sure why, because nobody has ever <laughs> nobody has ever hurt Fanny in this house. I, I wrote in my book, My Life in a Cat House of a time, Fanny had like a little price sticker stuck on her paw. Like obviously a price tag had fallen off of something. Fanny had walked over it and it stuck to her and not even stuck that hard. And when I say stuck to her paw, I don't mean like chewing gum in a shag rug. I mean like a post-it note to a piece of paper where it dislodges with a minimum of effort. And But she couldn't, you know, she was shaking her paw and it wasn't falling off. So I picked her up pulled it off her paw, put her back down. And the cat, I kid you not, hid from me for three hours. Every time I walked by, she ran under the bed, like, <laughs> truly, like, like, like I was Carrie at the prom. She ran and hid from me. And so Fanny, needless to say, when I pick her up and wrap her in the burrito to attempt to to trim her claws, does not go willingly or without a struggle, 
Clayton, fortunately, does not struggle at all, but I, I, I can't do it. I'm too afraid of hurting them. And I am so excited for everyone in this house to get vaccinated so that I can get my first haircut since December of 2019. Uh, those of you who follow me on Facebook may have seen the picture of uh, that I put up of my hair. It, it's it's very 80s-tastic, uh, very hair band, very metal band. It's It's a lot of hair. It has not been cut since December of 2019. And I always have a lot of hair even when I'm up to date on my haircuts. Um, but I'm very, so I'm very excited to get a haircut. And I'm very, very excited for the cats to have their claws professionally trimmed by someone who will not hurt them or, or be afraid of potentially hurting them the way that I am. Um, and the other thing that I'm really excited about right now is our interview. See that, that's, there's my segue. Our interview, our upcoming interview with reader Melanie Paradise about her cat, Idia. And that's going to be coming at you in just a few moments. So please stick around for more Curl Up With A Cat Tale. And now it is time for my favorite part of the Curl Up with a Cattail podcast, and that is the part of the podcast where we get an actual cattail. Uh, speaking with me today, I have actually, so I have two friends. This is true. I have two and only two friends named Melanie. Uh, one of them is a dear friend from my South Beach days uh, who now lives in Australia, and her name is Melanie Morningstar, which I think is such a great name. And then my other friend, Melanie, who is joining us today, her last name is Paradise. So I have two friends named Melanie who both have amazing last names. I don't know if that's some sort of like a, a Melanie rule that got enacted at some point when I was not aware of it, but I feel very lucky to have both of them in my life. They are both amazing cat women. And Melanie Paradise, who's with us today, say hello, Melanie. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, Melanie's joining us from Tennessee, and Melanie is actually one of the most fascinating people I know. And that is because so many of us, uh, I've heard from so many readers over the years who have said some version of, man, you know, if I won the lottery, if I had all the money in the world, I would just buy a piece of land somewhere and fill it with animals. I would just have animals all over the place. That would be what I would do. And Melanie, to my knowledge, Melanie, you've never won the lottery. That is, if, if, if I'm correct. No. Unfortunately, I am still waiting. OK, so Melanie has never won the lottery. Melanie has a, a an actual real nine to five office job. And yet Melanie also lives on a farm filled with animals. Uh, tell us a little bit because, uh, I, I, you know, Lawrence and I and again, Melanie is a friend. Melanie is a reader who won a, a win a, <laughs> a visit from Gwen Cooper contest 10 years ago. Um, second prize was win two visits from Gwen Cooper. It's a little joke. And um, and and Melanie and her partner, Sarah, and, and Lawrence and I just all really hit it off. And so so we all became friends and they visit us in New York. We visit them in Tennessee. And so Lawrence and I, uh, city slickers, are, are just fascinated by this. But Melanie, tell us a little bit about your farm. Well, we have been on our farm now for 11 years. And the original intent of our farm was to, one, get out of the city, and um, I grew up in a rural area. I grew up on a, on a beef cattle farm, and uh, I wanted to sort of get back to that. And fortunately, my partner was 
uh, game for it as well. But our original intent was to have horses because I grew up riding horses. I've been riding since I was six. And I used to show horses. And I wanted to get back to that. So we began to look for land that would accommodate basically a nice farmhouse, some fencing, a barn, and some horses. Um, we found this place outside of Knoxville. Uh, we did get the horses. And then we decided we wanted to get cattle. And we have chickens. And we have two dogs. And, of course, we have a house full of cats. I will not say the number this morning, but it is a, the lowest number we have had in 11 years. Okay, so so I am going to make you say that number, by the way. I, I, I don't know why you thought you were going to come on a, on a podcast called Curl Up With a Cat Tail and, and not have to disclose how many cats you have. When Lawrence and I met you and we came to visit you, you had, I, I think, around 11 cats. Was that, is that correct? Yeah. Something like 11 or 12. As many as 13. And, yeah. and how many do you have now? We have six. Okay. We have one barn kitty outside who lives a very posh uh, horse barn kitty life with a, you know, heated and cooled room. And we actually have a rescue kitty right now who needs a home. Well, we will, uh, we will actually get to information about that um, a little bit later on if anybody's in the Tennessee area looking for a new feline companion. That, that is good information to have. Um, and, and again, I will say, you know, with, with how, it, how many cats you have, Lawrence and I visiting, and because you do live on, on a nice sized piece of land and, and the cats are sort of indoor, outdoor cats. And so it never feels like it's a house crammed full of cats or anything like that. It actually feels pretty, pretty spacious and pretty mellow as far as the cats are concerned. Thank you. We, we feel like they have ample room. They have a, a kitty pen, the, um, that they can go to and the house is large enough. We have a screen porch. So. And you grow your own catnip. Yes, we do grow our own catnip. Yes, uh, that was actually how you, you mailed some before you and I had actually met. You had sent some catnip to Homer. So your cats basically live on a nice-sized piece of land with horses and cows and chickens and homegrown catnip that they can just kind of roll around in, I'm guessing, in a little patch by your house. So it's, so it's a pretty idyllic life for the cats, it sounds like. It is. I think our cats are very happy. And certainly very lucky. And you were actually involved in, or you, you have been involved in cat rescue for a long time also. That's correct. When I lived in town in Knoxville, um, I was looking for, um, you know, something to get involved in. And so I began, I had never uh, volunteered with any sort of um, rescue group before, but I, be, I found interest in one of the groups that had, excuse me, had cats in one of the local pet stores. So I began to volunteer with them and ended up serving on their board of directors for three or four years. And part of my job was to keep the website updated with the pets um, that were coming in, the new pets coming in. And also I would go to the local county shelter to um, pull cats um, to come into our rescue group. And that was probably my most favorite thing on earth because I knew I was truly saving a life. Um, the shelter is doing very well now with numbers, but at the time, unfortunately, they struggled like many shelters with, you know, taking in far more cats than they could possibly adopt out. So I always loved going and always made a point to go pull cats when we had a space available. 
Okay, and so one of the cats uh, who you who you pulled out, I believe this is the origin story, but you will tell us, um, is the cat we want to talk about today. Uh, the cat's name is Idia. I, I just want to proceed all of this. Uh, what, what I really love about this, and, and speak, going back to talking about great and interesting names, I always loved the name Idia for this particular cat, because Idio, uh, as some of you may know, is is the Latin word for we don't know, for, for not knowing something, for a lack of knowledge, like the word idiot, basically, is a person who doesn't know anything. Um, a disease that's idiopathic means the doctors don't know how it started or what's causing it. And and so I want to talk about your cat, Idia, because I feel like like everybody who loves cats can relate to this idea or has at one point in their life had the cat where you have to justify the relationship to other people that other people and sometimes even other cat lovers don't get it because it seems like the cat is so much trouble or is so antisocial or so neurotic or so bitey. Um, that people can't really figure out why you love this cat. And often I find that that people with cats like this, and, and I had a cat like this uh, to some extent, Scarlet, although Idia certainly puts even Scarlet, my, my surly girl, to shame. Um, but it, it's not just that you tolerate this cat or you live with this cat or even that you love this cat. It, it's that this becomes the cat to whom you are the most attached, sort of the, the more difficult the cat is to, to acclimate or to, or to love, the more you love this cat. And I feel as an onlooker, that was definitely your relationship with Idia, who, who yeah. I, fi- I find to be a fascinating cat, and I find your relationship with her to be fascinating, and we are going to talk about the, that a little bit. Um, but it's it's definitely the kind of cat I always feel like when you try to explain the relationship to other people, you always en- end up sounding like a battered wife who's staying with her husband, you know, because you say things like, you don't know what she's really like, you know, you don't know what he's like when we're alone together, you don't know how much he loves me. And, <laughs> and, and I hear you laughing, because I'm sure you've had to explain yeah. these things. So, so at first, you know, let's talk a little bit before we get to the gotcha story. Let's talk a little bit about living with Idia. Um, I remember one of the first stories that the two, two of the first stories that I heard about Idia, one was about how she treated your partner, partner, Sarah, when the two of you first moved in together. And another was an incident. And I don't remember what happened, but it was a biting incident. Um, but, (laughs) but let's talk a little bit first about Idia's personality and how Idia reacted when you and Sarah combined households and moved in together. Well, I think that you did a very, uh, that was a very apt description of, of our relationship in that it was difficult. And through that difficulty, she did become, I love them all. We, I know all your listeners who have cats know that each and every one is special in their own way. And you can't pick favorites. And I'm not picking a favorite, but I will say that my relationship with Idia was extremely special and, and, still is to this day, even though she is no longer with us. But, um, yes, when I, when Sarah first, uh, when Sarah and I first met and, uh, I, we began to, um, cohabitate and eventually move in together, um, Idia let it be known really quickly that she wasn't a fan <laughs> and, and, ha- and how did she do this? Like, and let's, and Idia, so Idia was, was this beautiful all-white cat, I should say. So she had a very angelic look, but not an angelic disposition. Well, 
See, I feel I have to defend her already. (laughs) (laughs) Please please do. (laughs) Okay. She was. She was a beautiful cat. She was a solid white cat. She had yellow eyes. And she had a bit of Siamese in her. Uh, That was obvious. So she was very vocal. She was very smart. She was very in tune with you. And the thing about her, when I spoke to her, she would look at me and she would answer with her meows or sounds with inflection to the point we could actually have a conversation. Sarah, my partner, can vouch for me that she says she has never seen a cat who comes so close to speaking English. She, she, is, she was very communicative. So she would look at Sarah with this air of disdain. But the big thing she would do, if Sarah left her clothing around, um, Idia happened to be one of the, I've read, the 10% of female cats actually spray. I happen to be lucky enough to have one of those cats, <laughs> and it was Idia. She would spray things. I, I feel like we so know where this is going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, Sarah traveled for a living. and uh, I traveled a lot, and often on Sunday evenings, she would hang her clothing on the doorknob as she's packing her suitcase. And then sometime during the week, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, I would get a call um, with some not-so-nice language. As Sarah has unpacked her suitcase, she has found that Idia sprayed her clothing. (laughs) Oh. Oh, so she would find out when she got to where she was going that she had been traveling with with basically a suitcase full of cat pee. Pretty much. (laughs) And my response was, well, you know she does that. Don't hang your clothing on the knob. I mean... (laughs) It's as spoken like a true cat person, by the way. The other thing she would do is she would literally spray her side of the bed, especially when we traveled. She would be angry that we were gone. We would come home from a trip, and we had to put um, the uh, something on the bed, you know, something plastic. We knew she would do it. So we, we would have something. We had a plastic cover we would put on the bed, and sure enough, it would be a little pile of urine right on Sarah's pillow. <laughs> so so now, now my understanding was that she liked to pee on Sarah's pillow pretty much all the time. Yes, it, it, it probably was more common than I would like to admit, yes. <laughs> and, and, and did she and Sarah sort of uh, reach any kind of rapprochement uh, as the months and the years passed, or, or was it always a, a semi-adversarial relationship? You know, I always say it proves how much she was committed to our relationship that she loved Idia. Um, she did. And I would say in the, in, Idia mellowed over time. She did. We had her for 12 years and she did mellow over time. And her last two or three years, I would say that Sarah loved her almost as much as me or if she put on a very good front if she did. I think I think professionals call that Stockholm syndrome. I think is what that's called. <laughs> but but now, so Idia also had some some health issues that that required a lot of ongoing care. You know, she was medicated, or or was that for for her for her anxiety? Um, I do know that she uh, yes she she had feline hyperesthesia syndrome, which means that the nerve endings were extremely overly sensitive, especially along her back, and it made her very grouchy and uh, aggressive and that was one of the one of the very trying or the most trying thing aspects of having Idia is that she was very aggressive often toward other cats and um, she took medication for that and we tried to keep her on a dose that would make her 
you know, tolerate herself and us be able to tolerate her, but not overly medicate her. But that was a lifelong um, balancing act. And I think uh, there was one time when you were trying to give her medication and it did not go well. <laughs> Are you speaking of the biting incident? I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. That actually transpired because she always picked one cat to pick on. She always had one cat in the house that she persecuted. It happened to be uh, Sarah's cat, in the, who lived, Nellie, who lived in her office. And so I was doing some what I... So she didn't like Sarah or her cat. I, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but so she didn't like Sarah and she didn't like Sarah's cat. So her, her attitude is basically like, you guys are interlopers, get out of my house. Pretty much from the moment that Sarah and her cat moved in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So poor Nellie lived in the office, but the, the, the upside upswing to that is that Nellie got to spend eight hours a day with Sarah when she was home. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry to interrupt again, because you say it like, Idiot was always persecuting a cat in the house. Like, it was just a coincidence that she happened to be persecuting Sarah's cat. Whereas I feel that was yeah. probably not as coincidental as you're making it sound. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> perhaps not. It was the third cat that she had persecuted. I actually had to rehome one of my cats because she persecuted uh, actually two cats. So um, Nellie was cat number three um, and the last one that she really persecuted. But... I was holding Idia and walked into the office with her so that she could see Nellie. And um, she was acting completely fine, but all of a sudden she clamped down on my arm. So in a redirected, aggressive fashion, she literally bit my arm to the bone. Oh. And I have never, she hit a nerve. And I've never felt such pain. So I managed to turn around and get out of the office. Sarah heard some commotion and came. And she she said that all she saw was my arm bleeding and me doubled over in pain. And, of course, it, it ended up with me looking like the Pillsbury Doughboy from my hand up to my elbow and taking a round of antibiotics. But that was the worst. We, we've all been there, by the way, with the, the yeah. swollen appendage yeah. that, that the cat bit. Um, and, and so I will say, so, so Idia was, was a very difficult cat. And, and we're going to, because I, I do want to get to, you know, we tell gotcha stories uh, on this podcast. And so I definitely want to get to that. Um, but I do want to note, and, and I always found it interesting because I remember Sarah saying to Lawrence and me at one point that she was worried for how it, you know, and again, you guys had 11 cats. Um, we love cats and we lose them and that is part of it. And it is devastating. And I am certainly not trying to, to sweep over that or, or minimize that, um, in any way, shape or form. But I remember Sarah saying to Lawrence and me, you know, specifically that she was worried about how it would be for you when you lost Idia. And so, you know, and again, this is what I find fascinating. It's it's not just that you loved Idia, that you tolerated her, that that you put up with her. She was, you know, we, I, I have readers who use the, the, the expression soul cat, like, like the sort of the cat equivalent of a soulmate. And she kind of was that for you. I mean, from the, and, and I'm not just saying that based on what we've said in this discussion so far, but knowing you for years and seeing how you've responded to other cats who remind you of Idia, and it's always Idia, it was, it was always Idia who you talked about. I mean, she kind of was your soul cat, even though she was such a, uh, a, a grumpy girl, to say the least. She was. Um, she was the thing that I looked forward to when I came home from work. She always greeted me at the door. She was often in the window 
I have a picture everywhere I lived. With, I lived in three places with her, and I have a photo of her in the window waiting for me to get home. She loved me back, and I think what made it so special was working through the difficulties, and I understood her. I, I, I understood why she acted the way she did, and uh, that just made it all the more special because no one else did understand it. I think Sarah began to, obviously, she saw. Um, she saw how much we communicated with one another, and she act, I had the most human-like relationship with Idia of any cat that I have ever had because she was so personable. And when she was happy, she was very happy and very uh, fun to be around and playful. Um, but she was my cat, and she always wanted to be with me. And there's something about having that pet that, you know, loves you back and shows you in a real emotional way that they do love you and they want to be around you. So I guess because she was so grumpy and didn't like other people, the fact that she chose me just made me feel special. <laughs> uh, understandably so. You know, I, I feel that in human relationships, if if you talk to somebody about somebody in love, um, somebody who who feels that they found their their human soulmate, you know, what is so special about this person? So often, what it comes down to is he gets me. You know, she gets me. This right. person right. understands me, and and you know, we we love our animals, and and they love us, and and we do understand them. But there is sometimes that moment where you th those relationships where you feel like you understand an animal who understands you back in a way that nobody else does or can. And right. I think uh, right. that that certainly overcomes a, a lot of urine on pillowcases for sure. Um, well, but <laughs> it wasn't an easy path. I will I will say yes. Years it, it was difficult. But we reached, as we say, we reached an understanding. So, so tell us. Uh, so, so now we want to. We're going to backtrack a little, having heard about Idia's um, life with you. I, I, I want to go back to the story of of how she came into your life in the first place, and and how you came to adopt her. Right. That was um, just so. Uh, I never dreamed. I was not looking for another cat. Trust me. And I'm sorry, every gotcha story that anyone tells on the show always begins with, I wasn't looking for another cat. <laughs> every single one of them. <laughs> and and I just, and, and truly, it, it is one of those things cat people say, but man, they, they find us, you know, and they find us. And people, you go out to get a dog on purpose. No one gets a cat on purpose. And yet we, we feel... <laughs> I, I mean, we want cats. Maybe the first cat you get on per purpose, I want a cat. But every subsequent cat is a cat that finds their way to you somehow. And yeah. I think that is part of the magic of the relationship we have with our cats. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please go on. You, were not no. you weren't looking for another cat, you I say. I was not looking for another cat. Yes. You're right. And so many, there are so many points in this particular story. It could have gone a different way. So I find it, I really feel she was meant to be with me. Uh, it was one of those days that I was able to go and pick. Usually when I went to the shelter to pick a cat or two, I, I could only get one or two because of space availability. But on this particular day, I was extremely excited because I could pick, I believe, six. It was either five or six cats, and that was the most I ever was able to get. Um, so I loaded up my carriers. I had a a list in my head because I would look at their website and pick kitties that I knew had been there the longest and whatnot. So I had three or four in mind when I walked in the door. And then I always left the space for 
one that might just speak to me as I walked up and down the kennels. And as I began to walk up and down the kennels, this white arm came out the door in this very loud white kitty was meowing at me every time I walked past. So there was a girl with a notebook who would write down the num kennel numbers of the cats I wanted, and I she was the first one I pointed, I'll take her. Because people love white cats. They always get adopted quickly, and we needed to move our cats quickly. And she was very loud. She was very vocal. Take me, take me, I'll take her. I took her to the shelter. She went through the system as normal. She went out to an, ado an adoption facility. I took her picture. I put her on the website. She was adopted within two to three days. She was promptly returned in two to three days. <laughs> she was too aggressive, so she was returned. She went back through the system. I find her again at a different location, and I had a friend who was working there who said, this white cat is crazy. She runs, <laughs> you know. I mean, it, it's not, you know, it's not funny. And I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to laugh. I, you know, cats being returned. I mean, obviously, this is this is one of the hard parts. One of the hardest parts of, of rescue is when you you think you found a home for a cat and the cat is returned. Um, right. I, I, I laugh only because we know that Idiot Story has a, a happy ending with you. Yes. So she's back out at a different facility where she stayed for, and I was surprised, for two to three weeks. And... I went to check on them and found that she was urinating blood. I immediately took her to my vet, uh, and to make a long story short, they felt she was extremely stressed in that environment. So I agreed to keep her for four to six weeks to give her a break from from the kennel and adoption environment. Um, and while another funny aside, while at my vet, they realized she had two microchips already in her, two different microchips. So she had had two families previously. Yes. Yes. She had a tattoo on her belly, so we knew which origi original rescue she came from. Then she was, uh, she had been through the system twice somewhere else, too. So I was at least her third owner. So she's sort of, sort of like a foster kid who's been bounced around a lot in this system, basically. And and so, yeah, I mean, so there, so some of her aggression and hostility is, is understandable. She had certainly been failed, let's say, a, a number of times before yes. she found you. Yes. Yes. And she was only, you know, one to two years old. Looking back at the pictures that I, I have of her at that time, I realized just how young she probably was. She was probably around one, one, one and a half something like that. But um, after having her in my home for four to six weeks, I absolutely fell in love with her. She was so playful and sweet and all the things I've already said about her that I didn't want to return her. And then after she settled in and she began to show some of her aggressive behavior, I knew I had made the right decision because I did not feel others would Put up with her behavior. I was afraid for her. I was afraid that she would be possibly hurt because and she could, you know, she was very, it was very trying in the beginning working through some of her issues. And, and that I think is, is sort of the, the difference, you know, between let, let's say even, a, even somebody who loves animals and loves cats and a rescuer. Um, and in that, 
when you found that she was aggressive, and obviously this is why she had been returned so many times or or abandoned or, or both. She was returned to shelters. It seems like she was abandoned. Um, obviously, it was because of her aggression. And you were the person who wanted to keep her because of the aggression, because that would make her hard to home. And I really think that that is the difference. Um, you know, look, not everybody's cut out to be a rescuer. Not everybody is cut out to to home or work with a troubled cat. I can certainly understand the people who do not want an aggressive pet in their home. Obviously, that is not a good choice for a lot of people, people with other pets, right. people with children. Um, there are any number of reasons why it, it's, you know, people who – there are just a million reasons why something like that doesn't Absolutely. work. And, and it's certainly not good for the other cats who, you know, are being – Tortured. You know, <laughs> right. Exactly. But you so were the person I, who who said this cat is aggressive and, and is going to be hard to home and therefore I must keep her in my home. Yes. Because I felt like I could manage the situation and, and we did. And, you know, in the end, we had many more good years and good positive times, uh, and, and no cats were harmed, <laughs> um, in Idia's life with us. Um, it just be, it, for us, it became just a way of life. We knew her quirks. And it really became a non-issue, especially as she aged. Do you think that maybe because you guys live with so many animals that, that she, I don't want to say, I mean, lost in the shuffle is the wrong way of putting it, but that, you know, like I think about Lawrence and, and me and, and we are in a house and it, it's a good size house, but it's the two of us and two cats and, you know, in, in a very urban setting, uh, we are all inside together all day, all the time. And I'm wondering if if maybe... Idia having, you know, so much land and, and, you know, you guys having other animals and if maybe that kept her from dominating her issues from dominating your lives the way it might have in, in a smaller or more contained household. That is a good point. And, and probably you're probably spot on there. We couldn't, um, we just simply didn't have the time to, to sit and dote on or, you know, focus on that one issue. And with, the cats we had, others had health issues during that time that required our attention uh, more so. And we we are outside a whole lot, so we're not inside all day long. Um, but really, it just became, it. she really did mellow over the years, and it, it just became less of a problem. And with having the space, if she did, for instance, with the office cat, we were able to give that cat a very comfortable and fulfilling life and solve the issue of idiot aggression at the same time. And uh, but before we, because uh, I also, I do want to talk about the, this cat that, that you have for adoption on, on the off chance that somebody listening might be a good person for that cat. Um, so so we've told all, all of these uh, stories about idiot's aggression and, and idiot's biting and idiot's peeing and torturing other cats. Uh, t- tell us a great Idiot story. I mean, tell us the kind of story that if, if you were trying to explain to some to try to make someone understand, maybe someone who's not really a cat person. Um, this is why I love this cat so much. Uh, what what would be a a positive idiot story that you would tell? Um, I don't know that I can recall a specific incident. It was more the way when I came home from work, she greeted me at the door, and I would say hi, idiot, and she would vocally answer. She would meow with a you know like a hello. And as I walked through the house, she would meow, 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 meow. She just constantly spoke. Telling you about her day. Yes. 
and I could ask her a question and she would answer appropriately and with the expression in her face and the way she would just look at me, it was as if we were having a conversation. She also liked, she was affectionate in the evening when I would sit down to watch TV. You know, she wanted to be in my lap. She wanted to be near me. But we also knew, you know, don't touch certain places. She would turn around and, and make a, a grumbling noise and let you know, don't, don't touch there. Um, she was just so personable. That was the thing that um, drew me to her so much is just the way she communicated. Do you feel that maybe the reason she, she got bounced around so much in a weird way is because the two of you were meant to be together? I would like to think that. <laughs> it's it's a nice thought, isn't it? That that it happened for a reason. That uh, that 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 I do believe that. Uh, it, of all the cats I rescued, I definitely think she ended up where she was supposed to be. I always tried to remember that when um, you know, <laughs> when you were wringing urine out of pillowcases. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, when I will say this: when, when of all the cats that I've lost. Uh, I always try to remember the good things, and and with her, especially, I I told my to comfort myself. I said I was so lucky to be the cat, to be the cat, to be the person you know that Idia chose, or the person that Idia ended up with. So I would think, you know, what if that had not happened? What if I had not picked her at the shelter that day? What if she had not been returned? What if I had not happened to go that day when she was uh, sick? So many at so many points, um, it could have gone a different way. So I was I'm very grateful for the time that we had with her. I think that's a, I was going to say you know I, I think that's a very typical thing. Um, I, I I think that all the time with Homer, for example, and I you know and I do like to to think that that we were meant to be together and that it, it happened. But, but there are, there were certainly so many places along the way where it could have happened differently. Um, and, and it, sometimes it, it, you know, you do, you do think about that, how, how close this incredibly meaningful thing in your life came to, to not happening or to you not having that relationship. Um, I mean, it, it definitely seems it certainly seems to me as an onlooker that that Idia was meant to be your cat and that you were meant to be her person. Um, there are not a lot of people who, who are equipped to to handle a cat with aggression issues. And, and it's amazing that the two of you found each other. Thank you. Um, and, and before we wrap up, though, I do want you to tell us about the cat who is available for adoption. Um and then anybody, if, if you hear about this, if, if you're listening and you think you might be the right person for this cat, if you are, I'm going to say somewhere in the, in the you know, local to the Tennessee area would probably be best and easiest. Um, you can email yeah. me. Uh, just go to my website, GwenCooper.com. There's a contact form and you can email me and I can put you in touch with Melanie. Uh, but Melanie, go ahead and, and tell us about the cat you have for adoption. Well, we named her Myrna. Um, she is, it's a great uh, name. <laughs> I love that she name is. for a cat. <laughs> um, we struggled. It took us about two weeks uh, to figure out a name for her. We tried different names and nothing fit. And then one day Myrna popped in my head and that's it. Like Myrna Loy. It's, it's a great name. Yeah, exactly. She is uh, an absolutely stunningly beautiful cat. She's solid gray. She's medium haired. She's nine to 10 months old. She's had all of her vet work. We got her spayed. She's had all her shots. She is healthy. 
And um, I feel certain that someone put her out in our rural area. We have a the perfect drop-off location, unfortunately, and that has happened many times over the years, but I saw her before Christmas. And uh, after Christmas, was able to trap her, and she was immediately, you could tell, so relieved. She was so friendly. She's definitely been someone's pet. And there are no houses around here uh, where she would have come from. So she was scavenging for, for food. She was very, very thin. So I feel like she was unfortunately dumped here. Oh. But she's very sweet. She is a little quirky. Um, she doesn't like a ton of petting, but she likes to be in your lap. She likes to be with you. And um, she uses the box. I mean, no bad habits. Um, but she will nip. She's one of those cats that when she's overstimulated or you pet too much, she will nip you. Gotcha. But, Clayton nips me if I'm not walking fast enough to get his food. So <laughs> he, he nips at my ankles like 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 I'm yeah. cattle that he's herding, you know, that like like the expression herding cats. This is a cat who's trying to herd me. So I always find that. I always find that endearing, uh, <laughs> by which I mean the opposite of that, by the way. <laughs> but um, so, so she nips a little bit. And um, yeah, if you could send us if you know, send me some pictures and we will get um, we're going to have those pictures up. Actually, if you go to podcast.gwencooper.com, you will see some pictures of this cat and we will get them up. And again, just hit the contact form at gwencooper.com. Um, and email me if you are interested in learning more about Myrna. And Melanie, thank you so much for, for joining. And please give your six cats, two dogs, um, however many horses, chickens, and cows, all the best from me and from the listeners at the Curl Up with a Cat Tail podcast. And, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much, Gwen. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about my idiot. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing her with us. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, get your copy of a free new book about Homer the Blind Wondercat, find out how you can get your name and your cat's name included in my next new book, or leave comments and questions for me to answer on future episodes, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me. And don't forget to hug your cat today.